I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and even the worst of sinners. Then others will realise that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honour and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal King, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And Timothy's responsibility. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you to fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're starting a new preaching series called Letters to the Apprentice, where we're looking at um, the two New Testament books of 1 and 2 Timothy. Over this preaching series, we are going to be uh, looking at some of the advice that the Apostle Paul um, gave to the young church leader at Ephesus, to Timothy. Paul is writing these letters to Timothy while he's imprisoned um, in Rome, and he wants to impart some encouragement, some wisdom and advice to Timothy as he shepherds the church at Ephesus. What I want to go, what I want to talk to you today about is what Paul was doing with Timothy about investing in the next generation of leaders. To actually move our thinking, to change our thinking from the here and now and just having to organise what's going on right at this moment, to actually start thinking about what is happening in the future, what's going to be there beyond this moment to start thinking and acting generationally. So I want to ask you this question before we get going, before we delve into this. Have you ever tried to do something that is completely new, beyond your own current capabilities? Anybody done something new in their life? (laughs) Put your hand up if you have. Cool, fantastic. So those that have done something new, How did you get those skills? What did you do in order to do this new thing? You know, if you were to ask our generations that are growing up now, and I've done this myself, how do you learn something new? Well, you go to YouTube, don't you? If you want to learn any new skill, anything at all, if you want to be an expert in your field, go to YouTube and you'll find at least some video somewhere about something. 
I want to take you back in my life, you know, back when I was a research scientist and about learning new skills there. Different to looking at a video, you know, in order for me to learn a new skill or um, further the research I was doing, what I would have to do would, would be spend days reading journal articles, scientific journal articles within the field. And then once you've read those and found the right article that could fit your current situation, you would then read through their methodology and their process that they had, buy all the equipment, everything you needed, and then try and reproduce what they did in order for you then to move to what you wanted to do. So you'd have to first of all research and read, find the methodology, reproduce that methodology, and then innovate. That was one way of learning, of imparting knowledge. So we've got going to YouTube and videos, we've got research and methodologies and academic papers. But when I changed and became my career and my vocation, and I changed and became a minister, how was I educated to do something completely out of my comfort zone? To move from test tubes to people, how did they train me? What did they do to encourage me to do that? Well, they took me out of the congregation I was in and put me at college and trained me academically with a couple of short field educations in congregations. You know, it's that academic learning and once you, you know, the head knowledge, made sure you were thinking right. And, and once you'd actually got that that knowledge and you'd, you'd, you'd met the requirements and you'd done all the interview panels and all those kind of things. Then you got let loose on a congregation. It was a teacher information student pass on didactic kind of approach to giving information. And let me tell you, my first congregation, I felt completely out of my depth just about all of the time. You know, the head knowledge was there, I knew all of this information, but putting it into practical skills and helping, that's another matter. So I kind of think one of the best things that we could do in order to help train young leaders within our Christian communities is, is, is actually to have them sit alongside experienced ministers and train them and the experienced ministers pass on information and training in situ, guides and mentors. A number of years ago, I, I wanted to upskill myself a little bit more, um, and it was in, in the area of photography. I wanted to learn how to be a better photographer. So I actually undertook not an academic process. I didn't go to a college or anything else like that. I actually undertook a process of a master apprentice approach. I put myself and humbled myself and said, I want to be an apprentice, somebody that learned from somebody who had skills and gifts. And that actually helped me understand not only how to do things, but gave me much more education and practical knowledge in this space. So we've got these different methods of, of education and passing on knowledge, you know, YouTube, putting it out there for everybody to kind of grab and take as they want, you know, smorgasbord of information. You've got um, the research kind of going back and, and hunting out yourself and then reproducing that. 
You've got the, the academia, the model of doing and showing, but then you've got this apprenticeship. And this is what we have here with the Apostle Paul and Timothy. An apprenticeship. A way of learning and helping the next generation come and be a leader to, to really show you ultimately what it means to make a disciple. Somebody else who follows in the way and shares that with other people. So we're going to be looking over these weeks, and specifically I'm going to look today about this, is how, how the Apostle Paul started to invest in the next generation. This opening chapter helps us understand a little bit about Paul and a little bit about Timothy and investing in the next generation. So how do we invest in the next generation? It's not just an academic thing here on paper for us to come and look back, but practical for us. How are we going to move beyond key performance indicators, short-term plans, and move into letting God's plan be a part of our life and our mission in the world? Letting God's mission flow through us. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than this here and now. It is generation after generation. How do we invest in the generations to follow? Well, I want to share with you, here's, I'm going to share with you three things that will help us do that. The first is this, we, we need to build a foundation on a clear, clear and strong why. Why are we doing this with values that can be sustained? We need to build into the next generation, not the how we do it, but the why we do it. We don't hang on to the how, we hang on to the why. And the next generation will mould and shape and do things differently. When we hang on to the process that we go, we lose sight of what God wants us to do, which is to pass on. Paul here is investing in the next generation of leaders, Timothy. And in fact, he's actually investing in generation after generation. We still use this as as material to invest into young generations. I actually just want to go to 1 Timothy a little bit ahead of what we just read. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 and 5 and it will be on the screen. And it says this, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching, whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people to live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience and a genuine faith. See, Paul is laying out a clear vision for, for us of what he's doing here. He's not narrowing down on how to do it. He's narrowing down on going why we're doing it. Laying out the values that not only sustains him but will sustain other people as well, us. Being filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience and a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we want from a leader. That's what we want for the next generation is, is to have raise up our children the next generation, to have that pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. To pass it on. So Paul lays that out. That's, that's where he wants to head. That's what is the value. That's the underpinning of all of this. 
But I love what Paul does here. He doesn't, he doesn't place himself on a pedestal and say, I am better than everybody else and that's why I'm passing on information. I know so much more than everybody else. That's why I pass it on. That's not Paul. Paul works from a place of humility. He, he, he humbles himself. He, he talks honestly about his own failings. He becomes real. See, in, in this in this apprenticeship where you've got somebody who has been living out the faith for many more years, it's when they are humble and show all the positives and negatives, the, the good and the bad in their life, that the younger generation learns so much from that. When we're willing to, to be honest with those where we're encouraging and feeding in the faith, that's that's when growth happens, not only in yourself, but in those that are following. Because they see that, that, that it's not an unattainable thing, that there is flaws and realities, and we grow into those. So the second point that I want to bring is, Paul starts from this place of humility. It's, it's about investing in the next generation, that you actually need to be honest and humble if you want to invest in the next generation. And that's actually really hard because because the world is wanting to put in front of us this, this glossed over reality, this Instagram-filtered world that we have, whereas everything is beautiful, everything is wonderful. But what we need to give our next generation is not the fact that they've got to look like this way. It's the real honest life lessons that we've gone through. So one of the, the, the characteristics of a great teacher, of a mentor, of a guide is, is that the fact that they, they've already walked the path. They've learned the lessons. And they've been living it out in their lives. See, Timothy spent many years alongside of Paul before he actually was placed in the church in Ephesus. He's walking alongside being part of Paul's ministry, watching Paul doing what Paul did, being encouraged... And, to step out and out of his own comfort zone and, and become a leader in his own right. Being entrusted to carry on the good work that God has started. You know, this is what Paul does. Is he brings him alongside, shows him what's going on and then says, you may not be ready just yet, but here you are. I'm going to entrust you to take it where God is leading you. Timothy knows Paul. But Paul reinforces that he's coming from a place of, of grace. So Paul reinforces that he comes from a place of grace in his own life. And that's where Timothy needs to come from as well. That the teaching that he's sharing comes from out of this grace. Not out of Paul's strength, but out of God's grace. So I want to just share with you from, from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 17. And we'll just have a look at what it's... What, Paul says there, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He had considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. So he's, he's talking about his own self, the way he behaved to the early church. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. So even though he had fallen down, God lifted it up through grace. 
And here it is. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. So he, Paul's saying here that he's failed, but God's grace has allowed him to do. Do this ministry, reach out into communities around the world, lead churches, bring people to Christ, not because of his own strength, because of God's grace upon him. And it goes on to say, then others will realise that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honour and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. See, see Paul realises that this example of being honest and open about his own failings, about who he was and what he's done, will allow others to, to be able to follow suit, to be able to come to Christ, because even he who is blaspheming and and wanting to stone people and wanting to throw people in the jail because of following Jesus. Even because of that, regardless of that, Christ's grace was upon him. And so it doesn't matter what we've done or how we've messed up. God's grace is sufficient for us. As it was sufficient for Paul and it's sufficient for Timothy, as it's sufficient for our parents and for us and our children and the children's children, God's grace is going to be sufficient for all. So we need to be honest and open in who we are if we want to lead in and invest in the next generation and lead them. Then the next thing that we want to do, the final thing I want to also share with you today is to actually invest in the next generation, you'll need to look towards what they will become. So you actually need to look beyond the here and now and look at their potential of what they might be. See, Paul here is, is with Timothy. He's been, he's, Timothy's been walking alongside of him, being part of his ministry and life. He's, he's placed him, he's encouraged him to go into the church in Ephesus. But he's been looking at the future and the possibility of what will become of this, the potential that is there. Let me share with you from verse 18 and 19. And it says, Timothy, my, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. So about words of possibilities, words of what will become. What are the, the future possibilities? What is the promise out there? The prophetic words spoken to you about earlier. And may, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. Cling to your faith in Christ Jesus and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience and as a result their faith has been shipwrecked. See, Paul here is, is doing what parents have done for generations after generations after generations. See, as a parent myself, as my kids have been growing up and my kids still continue to grow up as well, we don't just look at the here and now. We look at their possibilities of what they can become. And we as parents even see the possibilities before they even realise it themselves. And if, we, if we didn't believe that they could grow up to be something special and wonderful, you wouldn't 
invest in their sports, you wouldn't invest in their music lessons, you wouldn't invest in their education. If you were thinking just about the here and now, you'd just be going, oh, okay, I've just got to feed you. And, and then release you. But no, we think about their possibilities, we think about what they may become, and we invest now in their future possibilities. This is what Paul has been doing with Timothy and continues to do and is encouraging him to do. To hang on to what God has given you. Hang on to that faith. Don't let go even though it's going to be difficult, even though people are trying to take you away. Stand up. So Paul is acting like a parent. He even talks about Timothy, my son, but you know, we know it's not a, a you know, physical sonship. And it's often a greeting in those times, but it has a bit more flavour there. It could be Timothy, my student. Timothy, my follower. But no, it's Timothy, my son. I see potential in you. Prophetic words, looking into the future direction of Timothy. See, Paul sees so much as encouraging Timothy to, to continue to follow that direction shown in those prophetic words by clinging to his faith in Christ. See, Paul here had and was encouraging and continuing to invest in Timothy as a leader. In writing these letters to Timothy, he's continuing, even though he cannot be physically present, even though he's in prison, he's encouraging and investing in this young leader of the church to, to help in challenging situations, to make sure he's going in the right direction. Don't we want that for our next generation? To invest in them, to see them raise up in the faith and, and carry on beyond what we possibly could even dream of, to take it to new places, to, to new people, to another generation. I mean, we, we are worshipping in a building here that wasn't here over 20 years ago. People had a vision for something bigger and greater and different. Not sticking to the same old, but something new. God is creating something new here. And the next generations are going to create it for us. Sometimes we need to just get out of the way and let them take on. To actually invest in them and encourage them and, and raise them up. So my prayer is that we are going to continue as a church to continue to invest in our next generation continue to lead them so that they may have a vibrant, full faith, that they may be bold, courageous leaders, that they may spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all of the world around. So I'm going to invite the band just to come up and I'm just going to come into a time of prayer where we're going to pray for ourselves, but where we're also going to pray for our world as well. So let us just pray. Gracious, loving God, as a church we come before you and we adore you, Lord. We praise your name. We sing songs to you. We read your word, but Lord, challenge our heart. 
Challenge our heart that we may love you with all of our heart, all of our soul and all of our mind, our very being. But Lord, help us to look beyond ourselves in this and to realise that we have the next generation amongst us. Lord, help us to be honest. Help us to be real to those people who you've placed in our lives that we can invest in. Oh God, if there's there's somebody here that's been struggling, struggling with their life, with understanding of whether they believe, Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit be upon them right now. That you give them the courage and strength to ask the question. To seek your answer. Lord God, we just ask that you encourage them to say yes. Yes to you, O Christ. Yes, that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. Yes, that I have sinned. I've placed myself above and beyond all others, including you. So, Lord, I confess that I've sinned against you, but, Lord, I want to come and be your follower. I want you to be my God, my King, my Lord. Lord, we just pray for people here today. People celebrating, celebrating anniversaries, celebrating birthdays, celebrating new life. Lord, we pray for all those people amongst us that are just going through life. And we ask that in all of these celebrations, all these joyous moments, that you are a part of that as well. Lord, you are part of our celebrations. But Lord, we also know that you are part of everything. And we know that you are there with those who are struggling with health, whether it be through illness, physically or mentally, whether it be struggles with finance or struggles with housing, where to live. Lord, we place ourselves back upon you. We ask for your healing. We ask for your guidance. We ask for your sustaining love in all of this. Lord, we, we look beyond ourselves. We look beyond our church. We look into our community. And we see people struggling. We see people struggling and thinking that they've got it all, but they don't. They've got the shiny exterior, but they're hollow inside. Lord, we just pray that those people will start to know you as Lord and Saviour. Lord, especially we pray for, for all those families that have lost loved ones in the train accident in India. We pray for all those people that have lost loved ones through the war in Ukraine. We know that evil and bad things happen, Lord. But Lord, we ask that you raise up courageous men and women to, to be in those situations where there is danger. 
to bring a voice of peace, bring a voice of hope, bring a voice of care. We pray for all those men and women that go into these places, whether it be after an accident, whether it be in the place of conflict, and provide care and support. Lord, we just pray that you will be with them, that you will protect them, that you will encourage them, that you'll give them guidance. Lord, we pray for peace in areas of war. We pray for sustenance in places of famine. May we release some of what we have in excess so that others may simply have enough to live. And Lord God, we continue to pray all these things in the power of your name, in the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Let us worship together. Thank you.